So it's episode two. It's episode two. We're doing a thing. We're, we're, doing, we're, we're doing a thing times two. This is a thing. I think as soon as it gets to number four, I think we can officially call it a thingy thingy. Yeah. Official thingy thingy. I worry that they say that it takes like 90 days to form a habit or something like that. So I'm like, I really hope it doesn't take like 90 episodes. <laughs> for it to become for a habit. It to, for it to become a habit. Hmm. But like it would 10 out of 10 be a habit by the time we got to 90 episodes it would and i mean we could probably half that 45 yeah. for me 45 for you yeah completely i only yeah, know so that, that half, makes sense i only know that half of 90 is 45 because of football you know that right i was just like why and then, my, <laughs> and then had like a real delayed reaction when my brain was like so that's how long football takes Tommy. Yeah. with 15 minutes for half time rubbish Okay. But half-time chatters. Oh, well, you learn something new every day. You do. That's Dan's fact of the day, Charlie. Okay, so now I know how football works, so that's good. Yeah, Life rugby lessons. is 80 minutes, 40 minutes each half. Okay, so before Dan starts talking unnecessarily lengthy explanations about sports, <laughs> um, we're here for episode two. Um, we're back in Worcester, mm-hmm. and we are at... Method Coffee Roasters, which, for anyone who knows Worcester, is right under the viaduct. So every now and then, you might hear a train going past us. It's not an earthquake. The coffee shop hasn't just imploded because of our awesomeness. It's genuinely a train going right past us. Uh, but Method Coffee Roasters, I mean, I've had... This is my second cappuccino that of I bought the d- from, Of the day? Of or? the day. Oh, God. From here. Um... <laughs> but it is absolutely divine. It is um, a really nice little hidden gem, I'd yeah, say. Yeah, it's really beautiful. And like, it's one of those trendy industrial yeah. spaces and they do really good flat whites. So, I mean, what more can you want? Obviously here for that. We really need to start drinking tea. We do. Uh, okay, I'll have to sacrifice my coffee habits for tea yeah, considering maybe, the name of our podcast. Maybe episode three we can... We oh have my god, is there like a is there a proper tea shop in Worcester, like an independent tea shop? Probably. We're gonna have to investigate that. Listeners, bail us out here. If we if you know of a good genuine tea place, let us know. Yeah, you can get in <laughs> touch with us on the social media. Dan is our social media person for this episode, so he's gonna tell you all about that later. Oh god, don't put too much pressure on me, whatever um, you do. <laughs> we're basically on the Twitter and the Instagram and all the other stuff, so people can find us everywhere. Um maybe not everywhere. Most places. People can't find us. People can reach out to us everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. They can Um, reach out to us, but we'll just hide away personally. Yeah. Like, as people will just hide in a blanket fort or something. Yeah, exactly. We'll answer from under our blankets. Yeah. I mean, that's perfect. With our tea and biscuits. (laughs) And our podcast. Um, So, I'm going to do a teeny tiny drum roll, but only a teeny one, because I don't want to interrupt the sound think that will do that'll Hopefully do that's that a good that's completely a, bullshit the recording that's a very good drum roll Charlie. um we have a poet to interview yay i'm gonna do another one because i'm so excited um so i'm really excited for this i can't wait i can't wait uh gameplay for the whole podcast was that we can invite local authors to come and talk about cool stuff that they're doing um and the first person that we have invited is dan's gonna tell you it is the gorgeous Kieran Davis. The gorgeous Kieran Davis. So um, we are gonna throw loads of coffee at Kieran and then throw loads of questions. At, maybe not throw coffee at. I was going to say that would co- hurt. Maybe throw coffee in Kieran. That's even worse. And then, <laughs> and, been then in worse. And, then, <laughs> and then we're going to ask him a ton of questions so he can tell you all about his work and all about the exciting things that he's doing in and around Worcester.
So we are super honoured uh, to have as our very first TBB guest um, for our little podcast, the wonderful Kieran Davis, um, who is a local author who writes beautiful, heartfelt, uh, like honestly, stamp on your heart poetry sometimes because it's so beautiful and so touching. But he also has a bit of a split persona where he also writes his baldy poems, who is a very tongue-in-cheek character, tongue-on-cheek character, um, who writes like silly filth I think is probably the best way best way to describe it um, and we are very happy to have you with us Kieran thank you very much for having me it's always very nice to have someone join us because Dan and I have only got so much to say to each other if we're if we're honest about it that is true yeah. I mean there's only so long we can have the hobnob and Krista Cream debate can't we do not get me started hobnob Kieran's team hobnob what? there we go <laughs> Oh my god, this is going to be a short episode. <laughs> <laughs> not because Charlie's, you know, massacred Kieran or anything. No. <laughs> Charlie's not like flipping tables in coffee shops around with Stuart. You're telling me you don't like nuts? I don't dislike hobnobs. I just prefer to have a bit of cream between my biscuits. Okay. Uh, it's we're so have... easy to throw you two off course. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was gonna, trying to keep it this clean. This is going to be a long 40 minutes. <laughs> oh, you want clean? Yeah, we should have mm. put like a... Is this like a family-friendly kind of a thing? I mean, not necessarily. We no. can absolutely put like an 18 slash R disclaimer. But we did get through the first episode without swearing. which no Dan, swearing. Which Dan and you can swear if you want to. Okay. Um, Heck, bum, flip. <laughs> There we go, we've got it all out of the system. That's it. He feels chilled now, doesn't he? So I'm still amazed that we got through the first episode without without swearing. As am I, actually, because normally with anything, whenever we're like in the same vicinity, it takes about, what, two minutes? Yeah. We managed to make it through like a whole hour. Yeah, like a whole hour. Not even the tiny ones. On like, account of getting rid of those outtakes where I kept accidentally starting to record us and, and swore every time <laughs> I did it. But we'll do, well, maybe we can do like a like a birthday special where we release all of our outtakes oh in one episode and it's just me going ass every 30 seconds because I started recording again. That was quite funny watching you trying to control the swearing. Yeah, yeah it does go against all of my natural instincts but separate issue, we're getting distracted and we haven't even started. Um, Kieran is going to talk to us about books today and a little bit about writing as well because we're going to coax it out of him. Yeah, we, we need him to publicise himself, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. Otherwise we'll just do it on social media. So you get no escape from this. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you come with us willingly. <laughs> or not at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so... Dan is going to kick us off with our first formal question. Yes, so uh, go in all professional head on. Now. Yeah, put your interviewer voice on. My interviewer professional voice. head. Yeah. So it is. It's on. It's screwed on, and we're ready to go. Uh, get my voice sorted. <clears throat> so, Kieran Davis, what is your favourite genre to read? Uh, I've got two. My most favourite is definitely fantasy, high fantasy, sword and sorcery fantasy. Um, a big fan of the old D&D kind of books like Dragonlance and Forgotten Realms. But I do like high fantasy like Tolkien, obviously, and, and uh, anything epic, saga-like. Anything that you can really sink into and disappear for years at a time. Uh, but the, the other genre I really like, uh, especially from my youth, is kind of like the Penny Dreadful kind of gothic horror sort yeah. of things. Mm. Um, like Oscar Wilde's The Picture of Dorian Gray, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, of course, uh, 
the original Dracula books, that, that, that kind of thing. I love, I love those sort of things because they, the writers of that time brought out the very best and the very worst of humanity in us and just blew me away. So you must have a very interesting bookshelf at home then. You've gone from Tolkien to Stoker and everything else in between. You have like all of the monsters yeah. on your bookshelf at home. Oh, we're all monsters really. It's just uh, how you look at each other really. Um, yeah, my bookshelves are bowed, definitely. I've got thousands in my garage. I, I actually got rid of about half of my library over the summer when I cleared out my garage, which was heartbreaking but necessary. Uh, fortunately, they're going to go on to be loved by someone else, or at least I hope so. Um, probably about 90% of my personal library is fantasy, purely because I've collected it all my life, and I have very select collections of, of various books. Um, I, I love the old TSR before Wizards of the Coast took over, so my Dragonlance collection, I've got nearly all of them now, because there were about 150, 160 Dragonlance novels, and I've probably got about 130 of them. Um, and through buying the Dragonlance books, I bought Forgotten Realms and Dark Sun and Ravenloft, which I really love because that's kind of fantasy meets gothic horror with vampires. And so you've got two in one, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Um, that was brilliant because that was all kicked off by Tracy Hickman, who was the original co-author of the Dragonlance stuff, which is my favourite. Um, but then I've got all the, the old classics like Frankenstein, etc. And then uh, my other love is poetry, of course. Yes, of course. And um, as I've grown older, I've got more non-fiction biographies and books about books, basically. Um, I have lots of dictionaries and books on quotations. And uh, I love quotations, especially about books and, uh, and quotes from other writers. Mm. We were talking about this before we came on air, actually. Yeah. You've actually got a book a notebook full of not necessarily famous quotes from like famous yeah. celebrities and things like that but from people you've heard either on the poetry scene or books you've read um, can you tell us a bit about that the thing I like most about books on quotes is you don't just find the philosophical or the encouraging or the heartwarming or the funny you, you find things about life that you either forgotten about or haven't really given a lot of thought to until suddenly it jumps off the page at you so I decided that I'd quite like to write down some quotes from books that meant something to me, whether they'd mean something to other people or not. So rather than just all the famous ones that everybody's familiar with and jump up in all the magazines and online everywhere, I wanted to take out lines that just jumped off the page and made me stop reading for a second. Um, so, I mean, I read so much, especially at night, and quite often at night I'll stop almost mid-sentence through a book and write down the last line I was reading because it made me stop and made me think or made me feel the kind of way that poetry makes me do things. I think it's so important to have that level of appreciation for things because like when you're when you're reading and I and I assume that other people do this like I might be completely wrong but like it's so easy I think to be reading something but not necessarily completely engaged with it like yeah. I think sometimes you can read a page and think oh, I have no idea what I just read, I'm going to have to start from scratch, because my mind at least just wanders off somewhere else. Um, so I find it really encouraging to have that idea of like critically reading something and like being being like an active participant in your 
reading experience, like for want of a less slushy way of saying mm. it. Um, but I really like the idea of like having a way to make sure that you're engaging with a text and like actively ensuring that you're engaging with it. Because like a lot of hard bloody work went into mm. writing whatever book it is that you're reading. And, and emotional I'm, energy yeah, as well. Loads goes into it. Um, so I really like the idea of like having a way of appreciating that or like having your own way of making sure that you appreciate that. I think that's a really lovely thing for a reader to have. Everybody reads differently. It's like one of my best friends, she's like a sister to me, she reads like a speed reader. I've never seen anything like it. It's like um, Johnny Five in Short Circuit, fingering through the book <laughs> yeah. at 300 miles an hour. <laughs> And he, he, he understood it all, and I think, how on earth have you absorbed any of that? Mm. But she can, and I, I, I don't get it, because I read really, really slowly, because every word matters. There's mm. nothing trivial about a sentence. And I just, I become absorbed. I, I don't, I understand that other people get distracted and um, have to reread things, but I don't because it takes me so long to read it because I'm just there in the book. Mm. It drives my wife absolutely scatty, because if I'm sat reading, Somebody will shout at me, and I mean literally shout at a million decimals. Come on! I said the same thing five hundred times, and I'm like, what? Because I'm looking around, thinking, what the bloody hell is going like, on? Because I was completely absorbed. Who's this character? Just rocked up. I'm completely in that person's world. Whoever's written the book. It's like C.S. Lewis's book. One of C.S. Lewis's biographers, A.M. Wilson, um, wrote something along the lines. Oh, I've got a quote here. Where is it? Excuse me. Uh, reading is a creative exercise, an exercise in the imagination. It constitutes an experience in itself. And I, gosh, I wrote that down as soon as I read it because it just jumped off the page and said, yeah, that's how it works for me because it is an experience. Writers experience life twice. They experience life through the things they do, the things they see, the people they meet, and then they write about it and they experience it all over again. And the fact that they've done that makes it even more poignant on the page. So when you're reading it, you are now reading a third time what has been experienced already. Can I ask a slightly tangential question, just mm -hmm. off the back of that? Did you fall in love with reading or writing first? Reading. I wonder if that's the case for most writers, like whether you have to get like a like a nuts and bolts appreciation of what people can make before something in you goes, oh man, I want to, I want to make that too. <laughs> well, when I was a little boy, somebody asked me what I wanted to do when I was older, and I said I wanted to be a librarian because I wanted, I thought all librarians did was read books all day. Oh my God, oh, life goals. I, I know differently now, but that's what I thought when I was a little boy. Yeah. And I thought, how brilliant would that be to pay for your dinners by reading books all day? Oh, that's that effing mega. Because the very first thing I answered was I wanted to be taller because I wanted to be able to reach all the books on the top shelves that I couldn't reach. Because oh, I thought they must be more magical if they're out of reach. <laughs> oh, that's the cutest thing, isn't it? <laughs> it wasn't until I was sort of like, I don't know, 12, maybe 13, that I actually started writing and realised, actually, I can write what I want to read. Yeah. And that's yeah. when I fell in love with writing. Although I enjoyed writing stories and things as a child, and was encouraged hugely by my grandmother and other people. It never really occurred to me until I started taking it a bit more seriously that I could write. And when I started writing, that I really fell in love with it and I could just enter my own world in a completely different way. And, and it was many, many years later until my world started absorbing other people. Uh, 
that is the coolest thing once you've seen something of your own on a page. It's like it's no wow. great feeling, is there really? Wow, all the things I grew up absolutely loving, I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really, really lovely experience. And I love, like, the circular nature of it. Like, mm. the idea that, like, reading makes writers... Well, not not exclusively makes writers, but, like, it's an integral part of it, isn't it? Yeah. I think, like, if you want to be... Writers w- make readers and readers make writers. Yeah, it's I like know. the chicken and the egg, and you always find the eggs the ones that up in bed smoking. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will never understand writers who are like, no, I don't really read a lot. I know, it it absolutely, absolutely blows my mind. Because I think, well, how do you know you're doing it right then? (laughs) I think you've got to open yourself up to so many different worlds, haven't you? (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, you really have. And, like, even if it's not something that you want to write, you still need to know about it, surely, from, from, like, a structural, technical this is how other people build things perspective like if you exclusively wanted to build houses you wouldn't necessarily like not appreciate the structure of the railway bridge for example and i think like the the level of appreciation for craft should be the same thing whether it's something you want to make or whether it's just something you're observing someone else making maybe i'm being a bit slushy about it but that's that's my thought on the matter (laughs) as slushy as you want i mean we're talking about books of course we're going to be slushy yeah that's fair (laughs) So, yeah. so Kieran, I have to ask, you've got clearly a wide mix of loves, of books. What's your absolute favourite of all time? Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Good answer. Why? Why? It's, it was one of the first books that I really, really read and understood. I thought I understood everything that I read before, but... It was kind of like the monster that was a monster through no fault of its own and the only thing it wanted was to love and if it couldn't love it would rage and um, it was actually I think it was Victor Frankenstein and not the monster that said that if he couldn't indulge in one he would indulge in the other mm. um, it, it was all about being completely misunderstood misinterpreted and blown completely out of control and just the, the fact that anything so awful could be loved and finding out it could be if it was given the opportunity and there were so many wonderful wonderful lines from it um, that just it, it just oh, it's incredible though. I've very very recently talked to my own students about this about Frankenstein. Yeah. Oh, um, wow. It came up um, literally earlier this week. We talked about it in relation to like, the science fiction genre as a whole and like mm. the mad scientist figure and um, like who, who the real monster was and all that sort of stuff. And, um, and they were saying, which I thought was really interesting and like really astute of them to observe it. And I was very proud of them that they did. Um, like this idea of like parental abandonment and mm. like the idea of like Victor Frankenstein is the father figure who should have been able to like love his own creation unconditionally because it was his own creation but then like this horrific abandonment that happened which is actually what caused all of the issues in the book exactly. rather than rather than the mad science itself and um, so they looked at or like or rather they they discussed like how the science wasn't really the baddie if you will i'm doing air quotes like people can see me but the science, the, the science wasn't really the baddie air quote um so much as like the humanity of the book or like or, mm. or like lack thereof that caused most of the issues it was the first book 
that going back to my previous comment about characters that bring out the very best and the very worst of humanity that you can relate to and it wasn't the monster's character that gave me that it was victims yeah. um, and you know I totally get the abandonment thing and uh, those sort of things do make the children believe they're monsters yeah. they do I've got a line here from Frankenstein that I, I wrote down because I read it um, about once a year. It is my favourite book. I never saw a more interesting creature. His eyes have generally an expression of wildness and even madness. But there are moments when, if one performs an act of kindness towards him or does him any the most trifling service, his whole countenance is lighted up as it were, with a beam of benevolence and sweetness that I never saw equaled. And it's all about how the first time somebody showed kindness towards the monster, it was the blind lady, yeah. um, because she couldn't see him, so she didn't prejudge him, she just saw in him something magical, human, warm, and his whole world changed, his whole view changed and that in itself was a brilliant platform for me to jump into life with being nice to people because if we're all nice to each other everyone would be nice to the next person and yeah. the next person. It makes the world a better place then, Absolutely, yeah, doesn't yeah. it? It's all about the uh, the pay it forward kind of scheme that yeah. I get behind. You know, do something nice for someone without wanting a reward, without even wanting to be recognised for that small act of kindness because there is no small act of kindness there's right. nothing trivial in this life every little thing makes a difference I was saying to Dan earlier um, <laughs> I've lost my, my plot now um, oh no it's wandered off it's gone <laughs> hang on let's try and bring his plot back hang on just pull it back off the Jenny Lynn building no, move, move on because it's gone going to annoy me now, I'm going to say swear words. <laughs> oh no, don't start um, swearing. <laughs> we may not be able to change the world, yeah. but we can change somebody's world, yeah. if even briefly, with just a small act of kindness, and it will make such a difference to them, and uh, it's something to live by, definitely. It is. I think that, that's a very beautiful sentiment, really. Mm. Yeah. You, know, change, you know, people say, change the world, we're going to change the world, make it a better place, when actually... If you just change that one person's world, yeah. even for a fleeting moment, it's I think that to me is more special. Like I, I would trying say. to saying that you're going to change the world is like setting yourself up for immediate failure because it's just too much. Yeah. Like the world is a hot mess at it the is. best of times. Yeah. Like I, I don't think I know anyone off the top of my head, and I realise that I'm only sampling from my my teeny tiny circle of the world. But like, I don't know anyone who could change the world, but I do know people who make my days better. Yeah. And like, that's enough, really. And like, and I like to think that I make their days better and uh, other people's, and, and 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 that's enough. Like, that has to be enough, I think, for you to like find, I don't know, something akin to peace or inner peace or. Just tranquility, yeah. I think, and a sense of just being content and happy and tranquil. We are getting very sentimental. I'm not. I was literally just thinking <laughs> it's mad that this conversation is coming from Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> That's the beauty of that book. Yeah. Read it again. 
Yeah, it really, really is wonderful. And like, so, so we didn't study it in its entirety in my class recently. I just gave them an extract of it. Um, and the extract that I gave them was, I think, like early part of chapter four, where Victor is talking about basically having like hammered scientific studies for two years to try and like bring himself up. Um, to being like the same level as the people that taught him essentially and like there was this really interesting split in my class between people who are like no no it's definitely something (laughs) definitely something slightly offbeat by this point in the book and other people who were like he just wants to be the best at what he does and like he just has like a passion and a determination and like those in themselves aren't condemnable qualities or problematic qualities it's how like it's how they're harnessed and like something that I said to them was that the problem was is that his his sort of like erratic obsessiveness was being facilitated by people who rather than saying hey Vic why don't we have a night away from the lab this evening <laughs> oh please tell me that conversation happened that would like, be a brilliant parody or, or, alternative Frankenstein <laughs> hey some of us are going out for a drink tonight why don't you knock this whole essence of life thing on the head can you imagine the conversation with Victor Frankenstein on the lash oh god, oh my god. someone get him a Jager bomb quick I would be like look at this bloke thinking that he can knock up a monster while no one's looking but, but they but so they had this conversation about how like because no one was like monitoring the obsessiveness as it were like because it was seen as like a really positive thing like he was egged on and on and on to the point that like obsession became madness yes um and and that they talked then about like the fine line between like obsession and passion i'm just sampling from my own students now i'm probably gonna get angry emails from the department being like charlie you can't do that um but they talked about like this fine line between like obsession and passion and i I'm not saying that I'm like the most well-read person in the world by any stretch of the imagination, but I can't think of another book that articulates that to the same effect mm. that, that Frankenstein does. Mm. It made such a difference to my life because I am an obsessive about being the best that I could possibly be. Yeah. I'm so hard on myself. Most writers and creative types are, but I, I'm much easier on others than I am on myself. But... Um, I have to be the best at everything I try to do. That's probably why I'm the world's greatest lover. All I need now is a partner. (laughs) Gentle plug. (laughs) Just just kidding, I love my wife very much. If you're listening, which I doubt, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. (laughs) Please stay married. Oh, Karen. Um, But no, I think, like, I think writing, because it's quite a solitary thing, can like have I'm not saying that we're like mad scientists in our free time speak for yourself honest (laughs) um but like I think anything that you you do on your own like a profession that you do on your own I think it can like very easily lead to like that level of obsessiveness absolutely because because you're not constantly around other people who are always working towards the same thing you only come up for air long enough to see what other people have achieved Mm. so then by the time you go back to writing or sewing monsters together or whatever it is that you do in your free time no judgment um (laughs) you're going back to it with this idea of well like so-and-so's already had a book published or so-and-so's already made their monster and (laughs) i've only just sewn his arm on like i'm (laughs) way behind on where i should be it took me a long long time to come round to the idea that i'm not in competition with other people 
because I used to take it so hard when I'd see someone on the news in their teens or their twenties that published their first book and I'd be like, you've got to be kidding me, I've been working so hard yeah. at this for so long. And then it, I realised, well actually, whilst being published would be amazing, and it is amazing now that I've done it, I'd forgotten why I was writing in the first place yeah. and that was the whole joy of the experience of actually writing and the, what I, who I was writing for. I wasn't writing for a public, I wasn't ever expecting to be published, I would have liked for it. I was writing because it was personal therapy, it was joyful, it was, it was more than a hobby, it was my obsession and I was getting everything out of me that I needed to get out, whether it was prose or poetry and just thoroughly enjoying the whole thing. So, yeah, I, I try very, very hard not to, to act like I'm in competition with others. I think it was harder because I was one of three brothers, and uh, growing up it was always a competition of yeah. who could do what. And now I'm at that stage in my life where I, I'm genuinely, genuinely just pleased for their every success, and indeed with everybody else's success, and I like to encourage everybody to just get on and enjoy each other's company and success it's, it's a joy to see other people doing well and when you enjoy other people doing well you do well yourself whether it's professionally personally or it, it's just a better place to be in yeah, I completely agree. I feel like Frankenstein would have been a very different book had, yeah. <laughs> had uh, Victor Frankenstein got to that level of self-awareness that he could just be happy for what other people were doing and he didn't have to get into this whole one-upmanship <laughs> of who could build a monster. Um, but I think like as a as a life ethos, that makes much more sense than Those where Frankenstein's at. like Frankenstein have made me and other people who we are now to be able to love and encourage others. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's a really strong sentiment to finish our first segment on. I reckon so, because um, I need to recover emotionally. Yeah, we need, to, <laughs> we need to have a little lie down, and Kieran might need a cigarette. We definitely need more coffee. Absolutely. Um, so we're gonna throw some cheesy music on, and then when we come back, we're gonna talk. We're gonna talk to Baldy. Oh gosh. Brace yourself, listeners. I wish, we, I wish we had like a dun, dun, dun. Um, But yeah, so we're going to take a teeny tiny break and then when we come back, we're going to talk to Kieran about writing. Sounds good. So while you get coffee, I'll get out inflatable Steve. <laughs> the, the, un, the unsung guest. The unsung guest of TVB. <laughs> Okay, so we are back caffeinated. Kieran has smoked. We all we all had we all had a little try, and now we're all ready. We're all ready to start again. Um, so we discussed in our little interval that we might put a content warning on this section because we're letting Baldy out of the bag. Um, but I feel like Kieran can explain that better than I can or you can. Yeah. You being Dan, not you, dear listener. Um, <laughs> So maybe our dear listeners can explain the difference, but answers on a postcard. Um, so I'll be impressed if they can. So, <laughs> so for Kieran, what is the distinction between Kieran Davis and Baldy Poems? <laughs> well, when I was younger, I had a lot of hair. I had really long, beautiful, black, lustrous hair. It was the envy of many, many people in my little town. 
the hairdressers used to love me going in for my trim because they run their fingers through my hair and wash it and play with it and it was amazing i had hair nearly as long as yours child oh my god yeah at 17 i had a ponytail better than francis rossi but at 17 i thought it would be the funniest thing in the world for my dad's birthday to send him a prick stick and the trimmings of my hair cut and karma being the bitch that it is decided well screw you that was funny for you but not so much for your dad who's going to poke you in the eye with his willy and baldy was born because i started losing my hair rather rapidly by, by the age of 20 i looked very similar to the way i do now with very little hair if I grow my hair, I look like my dad, who's never cut his hair in his life and looks like Ken Dodd on crack. <laughs> I'm so glad that we gave a content warning before yes. I asked the question. <laughs> content warning more than just um, right. So when I lost my hair, I was absolutely devastated because like I said, I was a, I'm a rock and roll man and hair to a rock and roll man is everything. I cannot mosh anymore. <laughs> I tried and it looks like something out of the Muppets. <laughs> Who else is going do 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 Everyone within Methods Coffee Roastery I think right now. And of course, when people started calling me baldy, it hurts. I mean, it hurt like losing your virginity to a hedgehog. Oh, God. <laughs> and the best thing to do when something hurts is to make fun of it, because the best comedians make smaller themselves, and that's even funnier. So I turned baldy into something a bit more lovable and decided that if I didn't show it hurt, it wouldn't matter and people would just enjoy it. So the more people called me Baldy, the more I embraced it, and the more I turned into a different persona, a different character, somebody a bit lewd, rude, crude, rough about the edges, the kind of person my dad is all the time, <laughs> but is still respected and loved because he's still quite a decent guy. And whilst he goes out of his way to upset people, in the most fun way possible. He would never knowingly offend them or never intentionally offend them because even Baldy would be heartbroken if he knew he'd upset somebody. Um, but he's definitely the outrageous part. He's like, he's like Dorian Gray. He's all yeah. the best of the worst things. He's, um, he's all the sins you want to commit but are too afraid to. It's like, it's definitely the schizophrenia without the tablets. It's, it's really good fun. Um, and of course, as soon as somebody says baldy, it just makes people smile. Because those that don't know about Baldy, which are few these days, <laughs> instantly are quite shocked that somebody's called them that, because it can be quite offensive if, if somebody's not used to that concept, that it's not offensive. So Baldy wears Hawaiian shirts and tells rude jokes, and is genuinely just fun. He's like being drunk without drinking. Because I don't drink anymore. I used to be, well, I am an alcoholic. I'm a recovering alcoholic. I'm 13 years sober. So I let Baldy out when I want to have a drink. So instead of going out to get drunk, I go and get Baldy. 
and everybody has just as much of a fun time in, in mine or rather Baldy's presence as they would if I was on the lash, but without me actually getting sloshed. So, uh, yeah. And when I was sloshed, I was dangerous. <laughs> yeah, I think Baldy is like slightly less dangerous. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's a, like maybe a more palatable version, but like it does leak into, like that distinction like leaks into your poetry, I think at least, because like Baldy obviously has his silly poems, yeah. whereas Kieran has like really quite heartfelt stuff. Yeah, um, I mean, some of the more dangerous stuff that I write about, I, I don't tend to share. It's very rare that I'll share something confessional or personal. Um, I find it quite interesting that a lot of the poetry that I write um, can be quite dark and emotional, but a lot of it is character-driven. It's based on experiences I've experienced through other people, through stories I've read, through seeing other people's lives unravel as much as my own and some people think oh my god when did that happen to you and I try to explain I'm really grateful that you thought that and I'm really sorry that you thought yeah. that but that is the biggest compliment you could pay me that yeah. I've written that well enough that you believed that was it's like um, I wrote a, a poem called Loneliness that won the most popular award for um, the Loneliness Project by Theatre Cloud and um, my wife Sean was absolutely devastated because when she read it she said to me I think we've got a problem yeah and I tried to explain to her that it was nothing that I felt it was nothing that it was merely my my idea of what I thought loneliness was of how I thought somebody that lonely felt because um, it was all based around the, the Lord of the Flies yeah. and the, the, the concepts therein <laughs> And uh, that my own wife, who knows me better than anybody in the world, suddenly had this panic, this, this concern that I felt the things that she read in the poem was actually, as awful as it sounds, the biggest compliment in the world that I'd written something so powerful and believable that it made her think that. So, yeah, I can, I can bring a bit of Baldy's cowardice and uh, outrage to my own stuff without meaning to. Uh, and I do write comical stuff that's not completely bawdy. Um, for instance, in Worcester particularly, there's a very popular saga I write called Guess What Happened This Morning that everyone lovingly refers to as the Willow Poems. And that's definitely from me and my own experiences. And um, it's something that every parent can relate to. And some parents come along and they hear the Willow Poems and they think, oh my God. God, we thought we had it bad. <laughs> but I, I do jest because it, it, it's, it's elaborated because obviously my children are amazing. But yeah, Baldy's something that uh, people see the shirt or hear Baldy's coming and they shit themselves because they dread to think what's going to come out of his mouth next. And sometimes even I don't know what's going to come out next. He's not been arrested yet. Well, not for a while. <laughs> About what, 10 years? How long have I been married? Uh, <laughs> 13 years. I was going to say 13 years, I was going to say 13 years, but I wasn't sure. I wasn't entirely yeah, no, convinced I, that I that was the right answer. I haven't been arrested for 17 or 18 years, so, yeah. So Baldy's doing all right. Yeah. Baldy's, Baldy's a not-so-reformed, reformed character, yeah. I think. Is that fair to say? Yeah. yeah. Um, 
I have two more questions, <laughs> if we may. Mm. Oh, go um, on then. So, Dan's like, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, I'm just your co-host. Gonna, you're going to do what you want anyway. <laughs> um, so, writing-wise, yeah. do you have a new book coming? Does Baldy have a new book coming? Do both of you have a new book coming? A Baldy Kieran duet. There's nothing wow. been submitted. I mean, my publisher, Black Pear Press, who very kindly and very brilliantly um, edited and published uh, Lacuna and Legacy, have got with them uh, a collection called Leaving, which is uh, on the back burner at the moment because uh, I've had a bit of a tough year with my mental health. And um, my friend and editor and confidant Polly Stratton um, has said, "Look, let's just shelve it for now, and we'll we'll come back to it when you're ready." So when I am ready, um, Polly and I'll have another look at that, and maybe maybe one day in the future, Leaving will will finish off the uh, the L trilogy. Um, there's a few poems I'd like to add to it. There's a there's quite a lot I want to take out of it, and there's I've certainly done a lot of growing, both personally, professionally, and in my poetry. So that's I'm hoping that it's going to be the best one of the three. And the first two are really well received anyway. So fingers crossed. But um, as well as the sad things in the L saga, there's there's always the obvious one and that's laughter mm. and laughter the best time to laugh is any time you can so um i think a bit of baldy would be very welcome on the scene there's a, a lot of stuff that baldy does that is unpublishable for many reasons <laughs> but but um a lot of it is baldy steals jokes from other comedians and makes them rhyme so the um the copyright is a very gray area in 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 that area so it might be an idea to maybe self-publish some baldy stuff under laughter and maybe just do it for charity or for lit fest or something like that and i think it you know if you sold like a pamphlet form of laughter of baldy poems it, it'd be well received by Worcester and maybe make a few pennies for, for the literary festival so that would be a good idea and um, as well as my first love in writing which is poetry I, I also write fantasy fiction because of my love of fantasy uh, and I, I have finished my first novel so I'm going to try and revisit that and edit that and have a good go at that and may, maybe the Chronicles of Cyril Lost will see the light of day one one time soon, so that'd be cool. We can live in hope, can't yeah, we? Beautiful. I think that'd be good. They sound like sensible, attainable writing goals, yeah. which is like quite an achievement in itself for any writer. <laughs> <laughs> my, and, my obvious answer is like, next I'm going to win the Pulitzer, and then I'm going <laughs> to get Man Booker. And then... Man Booker first, come on. No, I would rather have a Pulitzer. Really? No, really, I would rather have just like a string of publishing contracts so I can be in books for the rest of my life. That, that is awesome. true. But, that but like, if I had to choose between Man Booker and Pulitzer, it would be Pulitzer. Kieran, what would you rather go for, Man Booker or Pulitzer? Or both? Couldn't give a monkeys, really. <laughs> it's just nice to be read. Kieran's <laughs> <laughs> like, I just want like a steady readership. That's, yeah. that's enough. I, I, never, I never wanted to be famous. So, I mean, I, I do enjoy performing, but I'm not fussed about performing. It, it's just welcome that people want to hear what I write. And that, that's always very rewarding. Um, I think I'd like to be read and loved from afar. Yeah. appreciated but then left the bloody hell alone <laughs> it's not that like I don't like people I'm just not very good at accepting praise and recognition and I'm quite a, a private guy as, as much as people probably won't believe that so yeah just be nice to be read and well known but not in person I'd like to walk down the street without people coming up and saying can I have your autograph 
because me being me, I'd turn into Baldy and try and sign their chest. <laughs> <laughs> no, I told you that happened last week, didn't I? Well, I told you to dress slutty. <laughs> <laughs> He's so humble, isn't um, he? Just because we don't do uh, visual recordings, I would like the record to show that Dan is not dressed in a slutty fashion. He is but he is flashing his ankles. Yeah, but he is flashing his ankles. <laughs> Ankle um, socks are the way to go, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's very true. Yeah, but not with sandals, mate. <sighs> now you tell me. I wondered why I was getting frostbite on my toes. Nike Air Jerusalem will not catch on. <laughs> Now he tells me. Um, okay, I'm gonna cut in with one last question because I want to ask it before I forget it, even though I already know the answer, but our listeners don't know the answer. Uh-huh. What's your favourite biscuit? Fox's Crunch Creams. Why? That's just, the stupidest right? question in the world. That you <laughs> don't know <laughs> that automatically is an insult. I thought we were friends. <laughs> you and I used to be on. Oh. Oh, we're going to start flipping tables. That's it. No, I'm genuinely upset. (laughs) Kirk's singing going to tell me slippers aren't important. Slippers are important. They are. Yeah, biscuits and slippers. Biscuits are everything. Biscuits and slippers are everything. I do get Why bother getting out of bed if there's no biscuits or slippers? I don't think I would. No, Fox's Crunch Creams. They're just the the most joy you can have with your mouth. They're a good Dunkin' biscuit as well. Oh, Charlie. You're telling me you don't dunk biscuits? No, I don't Dan, dunk you dunk biscuits. biscuits. I inhale just biscuits. Inhale biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> like I just breathe them in. There's no... I imbibe I poetry. <laughs> I inhale biscuits. <laughs> okay, I should have known that. It's shameful that I thought you were a dunker. And I don't share. <laughs> you don't share. I think I already knew no, that we didn't you share get, biscuits. You get bruised fingers if they try and encroach on my biscuit space. <laughs> It's a very personal space. You cannot invade that sanctity. <laughs> yeah, that is fair. I'm not big on sharing biscuits, if I'm completely honest. Or chocolate brownies. Yeah. Or food, really. Just anything like... <laughs> I don't... I'm not really big on sharing food, if no. I'm totally yeah, honest. Don't unless, order a salad and try and pinch a chip. Yeah, I was just about to say, unless someone else has food that I want, <laughs> then I don't mind sharing food. <laughs> but, like, if I have food that someone else wants, I don't share food. Yeah, I'm still recovering from when I tried to steal that potato wedge the other week. It... You know, my, my hand is still in cast. Yeah. It actually... Yeah, there's like a deep stab wound there that's never going to heal. Exactly. <laughs> um, I think that's all of our questions. I think so. I, I think, think we've exhausted Kieran slash Baldy enough. We're booked and poetried and biscuited out. We are. I think. I'm suitably biscuited. Suitably biscuited. That's a verb. That's a thing. Um, so we're done. And we're very grateful that you've given over your morning to come and have a little chat with us. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed that. Anytime, Kieran. You can come and have coffee with us on a Sunday morning whenever you fancy it. Um, A huge thank you to um, Method Coffee Roasters for beautiful coffee and huge smiles mm-hmm. and putting up with us for the last hour and yeah, however and long for putting up with us to to explain um outside noises so we've been sat in their beautiful outside garden which is surrounded by green greenery because we haven't know, quite right? hit winter yet um so it's a beautiful space outside as well as inside um and they're independent and they're local to worcester city center and we totally believe in supporting all of those things we and do. more we do um, and they have a big coffee roastery thing like yeah. the actual turning thing that they used to make the coffee at the back of the room I'm like oh my gosh I was 10 out of 10 swooning over the baked goods that they have we they do smell good yeah right it smells beautiful in there so they do some fine looking cakes as well as doing um 
That's our outside scenery kicking in. We're just getting the 11.45 train to um, 10 out of 10. Don't know what time it is. Um, but yeah, so they have beautiful baked goods and they have beautiful coffee um, and they have lovely staff as well who have been very kind to us and very thank smiley. You, Tilly. Yeah, a huge thank you to Tilly who has bought us all of our coffee needs. And she's very pretty. Yeah, and she's and she's beautiful. She's a beautiful human, our Tilly. Yeah, indeed. Um, and also Tree for who I spoke to the day before we started recording uh, for giving us the space and yeah. the time. For letting us come and hang out here. Yeah. Yeah, we've had fun, haven't we? Yeah, it's been good. Yeah. yeah I think it's we've been good. I think we've smashed episode two. Um, you have to do the social media. I do, it's my turn, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. So you can people can find us on all of the social medias and Dan's gonna give you all of our long candles. Okay, so we'll start from the easiest one and go to the hardest one. Yeah. So starting on Facebook, it's Kieran start, behave. Start on Facebook. <laughs> start on Facebook. It is Tea Biscuits Books yeah, Podcast. I'm on my Facebook. Um, and also Kieran is on Facebook Kieran's as well. Kieran's also on Facebook. Apparently. Yeah. You are now. Quick, you better set up your page. Quick. Baldy Poems. There Baldy you go. Poems on Facebook. So, Baldy Poems on Facebook. You can find him there. We are on Twitter at TBBpod underscore, because who doesn't love a good underscore? Yeah. Um, our email, because that is also a thing. Yeah. You know, we do sort of still live in half of the dark ages. Yeah. Uh, is tbiscuitsbookspodcast at gmail.com. And now for the tricky one. Okay, brace yourselves, guys. On Instagram, we are T underscore biscuits underscore podcast i think i've got that in the right order if not you can find charlie and myself i am dan burton 10 and charlie is at charlie blogs yeah charlie blogs and so that is our social medias i think i've got them all right just um, i don't know like we'll find out when people try and follow us yeah and they get the comments saying we can't find you yeah. whoops because dan doesn't know what he's doing clearly yeah but you'll find us we're out there yeah and if not we'll do that again next month so that gives you an excuse to tune in next month exactly gentle plug um so we're going to be back in november with episode three Mm -hmm. we have another local author who is already set up to come and hang out with us but we're not going to tell you who who yet because suspense spoilers yeah um we will be another independent location somewhere around worcester or worcestershire if we can like drag ourselves out of the city centre for a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. The cars um, need a workout to be fair. Yeah, the cars do need a little stretch. Um, and it's good for us to get out of the city. Truth. Um, and I think that's it. I think yeah. we're done. I think we're done. Episode two. Thank you. Ba-boom. Hey, let's have a round of applause. Let's do that.